It is Tuesday, May 19, 2020, and coming up on the tune-up, we're going to talk to actor, comedian, writer extraordinaire Tim Baltz. He breaks down The Last Dance and so much more. Also, we'll get into This Day in Music History, and could Twitch be the future home of concerts? We'll explain in minutes. This is the tune-up. Welcome on into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the Snare Campaign Provocateur. I play in a murals, but he's on a mural. It's Benny Horowitz. <laughs> oh, that mural. Oh. <laughs> that thing for so so for context, right? You're talking about yeah. Danny Clinch's paste up in Asbury Park. The other day, Denny sends me a a text message <laughs> with a picture of myself. I believe just saying nightmares. Yeah. It was very nice of you. <laughs> uh you know, but the funny thing about that is that's the second time that thing has been pasted up in Asbury because the first time I was defaced Ugh. and not the whole band, just me. That's that's bullshit. I didn't even know. I'm like, who goes after a Gaslight Anthem mural and just takes me out? So it was either arbitrary or they just didn't like my look. Mm. Maybe they thought I was the only minority in the band. A lot of oh. people do think that. Uh but I have a feeling it might have been a, uh, you know, maybe an ex, someone like that, who was in a drunk night in Asbury. It's like, fuck this. But I don't know, man. It it kind of disturbed me a little. It was almost like if we were all defaced, yeah. I'd have been like, all right, someone's not a Gaslight Anthem fan. But, but just someone you? just doing me, it yeah. kind of put this question mark in my head. Like, do do I have to look out for something else you know right exactly see i feel like i'm allowed to send you that text but the moment someone else comes out the familia no that's bad news Mm -mm -mm -mm. Uh, listen denny i'm born and raised 39 years in jersey if you're not breaking my balls i don't think you like me you know this is how we do things here if i'm just nice to you and it's kind of a cookie cutter conversation it probably means i'm not very interested in you at all (laughs) We have a long road to go down today on the show, and not a lot of time to get there, so let's get into this day in music history. <laughs> Benny, what do you got? So in this day, in 1965, FBI agents from America's Federal Bureau of Investigations visited Wand Records investigating the lyrics to the song Louie Louie by the Kingsman. <laughs> Very interesting. So, apparently, you know, the lyric is, Oh, baby, a fine little girl waits for me. And then, they can't make it out. It's originally a song by Richard Berry in 1955, but in 1963, the Kingsman did a version that was famously difficult to decipher some of these lyrics. Now, that led to kids and people listening to it, passing around notes and starting rumors about what potentially the lyrics would be This led to a concerned parent writing a letter to Robert F. Kennedy, who had a daughter himself, uh, who brought the case to J. Edgar Hoover, and they started investigating the lyrics to Louie Louie. Now, this went on for, like, years. They literally, you know, FBI went into it deeply, visited the offices, and this is from the FBI report on the song Louie Louie. They say several possible versions of the song's lyrics, including with the FBI's report, they make for a rather starting read. In the second verse, Eli might sing, 
At night at 10, I lay her again. Fuck you, girl. Oh, all the way. <laughs> or perhaps his words were more oniastic, saying, Every night and day, I play with my thing. Fuck your girl all kinds of ways. It's a family so, show, Benny. It's these are literally show. an FBI reports <laughs> about them imagining what this guy said. This is what they were up to. Bear in mind, this is at, like, the height of the civil rights movement. We're getting into Vietnam. You know, you'd think, like, the FBI would be maybe working on some more important things. So, of course, their investigation dragged on through 1965. Each examination of the record deemed inconclusive, and no one could determine what Jackie Lee, the singer, was singing that couldn't be declared obscene. The one funny part about this is they never asked the singer. They never asked Jack Ely of the Kingsman, what did you say? They just went on a two-year witch hunt. And this is the greatest part about it, okay? I'm, I'm ending here. Ben F. Wapel, the secretary of the FCC, you know, the American Federal Communications Commission, he wrote to Wand Records in October of 63 saying... Whether, even though objectionable lyrics were used in the recording of the song, there was improper motivation on part of the singers in making the recorded lyrics so unintelligible as to give rise to reports that they were obscene. So apparently the FBI's conclusion to this was that they were still guilty of a crime because they left the lyrics open enough that somebody could come up with their own definition. So, if you'd like... Read into the FBI getting into the Kingsman's Louie Louie because it's one of the greatest cases I've ever seen of misappropriation of government funds and time. Okay. And hey, if, if that case went the other way, who, who knows what uh, high school pep bands every across the country <laughs> would do? So, exactly. So glad we dodged that bullet. On a much lighter note, if you will, on this day in 2013, a guitar played by John Lennon and George Harrison sold for $400,000 at auction. Woo. Benny, I use this as a way to ask you if, if say you had to auction off your drums from one of the tours, okay, how much do you think that they would go for? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> not much. Oh, come on. Come on. That, I mean, that's not true. I think I could that's... maybe find, you know, one or two fans interested enough to give me maybe just above market value. But, uh, yeah, I don't think it's being sold as a collector's piece. You don't piece. think that's going to the Met at the exhibit at the Met? No, I think I'm better off donating it to the uh, New Jersey Punk Rock Dude Hall of Fame that maybe someone <laughs> will start in, in 10 years from now. No, I don't think. And I also have a drum set. It was the first uh, proper kit I bought, my first touring kit. It was the kit I started touring with Gaslight in. I still have those drums. Those drums are going to my children for sure. Love and that. if they don't play drums, I don't know. They can do whatever the fuck they want with them. <laughs> But they're going to them. That's nice. They're probably going to be like, junk. What is this? <laughs> what is this crap? Give me money, Dad. This is bullshit. Well, speaking of money, Benny, there is a new way for artists to make a little cash. Uh, you know, in, in the height of quarantine, we've been talking about artists doing live streams and all, all of that stuff. And it appears that Twitch may be the new way to get artists a little bit more income from playing live concerts. Because, all right, so... Twitch. For those of you that don't know, it's the Amazon-owned video game streaming company. A lot of a lot of kids out here making more money than us playing video games on the internet. And now musicians have found a way to the get this Amazon-owned 
service. So I'm wondering if down the road you're going to have a, a situation where Amazon Music and Twitch become like kind of one thing. That could get a little scary, uh, especially for your other streaming services. But at the end of the day, that's all big business. Benny, do you like this idea of uh, you do a free stream, but then people can like tip you? Do you like that? Well, I mean, there's a couple parts of this. So, so first off, the idea of setting up a paywall for uh, an exclusive streaming video service is unsurprising. You know, people are doing it for Patreon. They're doing it for any number of things where they're offering audio or private content. So the idea that you're behind a private video paywall, okay. You know what I mean? That's fine. I think first, you know, people are... Exceed, well, the people from the company, of course, are saying that this is like the answer to musicians, you know, supplementing their revenue streams. Now, it's important to remember that this is not for everyone. You know, some artists really want to be private. Some artists don't want to put on a show all the time. Some people want to walk off stage and pretend that it's over. And now I'm starting my real life. Uh, some are older. I can imagine watching some artists try to do this is going to be like watching my dad dial a cell phone, um, you know. And <laughs> so I would assume that it's it's more common with younger artists who are kind of more accustomed to the virtual back and forth with fans and artists that were just actually raised in this brave new world of not making much money from records, which has kind of changed the landscape for anyone my age. I mean, when I was coming up, the concept was still the same. It was breaking down, but you were still signed to a label. The record streams were going to get you. The touring was going to get you. And now it's a different story. I mean, part of the thing that uh, I don't think people consider in this argument is how weak some of these bands and artists touring is. And it's because they're not doing much live. You know what I mean? These people are actually more interesting making little videos to their fans and actually performing content live because of how fucking whack it is. And honestly, um, so, so that being said, it's obviously not for everyone. It's owned by Amazon. So the idea that this is some like altruistic thing to like help musicians is silly. And then this tip function, this can go a lot of different ways for a lot of different people. I mean, it feels to a lot of people as begging. It feels like, you know, this thing where, like, you're supposed to be self-sustaining yourself through uh, your fans tipping you extra money and sort of doing things to get this money when, you know what, like, uh, your record label, your sales, your touring, your merch should be paying for you. And the fact that there's this inequity in the business right now and people are accepting it as this is now the future... Uh, it is greatly disappointing to me, and it's something we've talked about in the podcast before, which is all of these labels, all of these publishing houses, uh, all of these streaming service, they've survived the fall of physical music. They've become part of all of this. They've become, you know, uh, shareholders in Twitch, shareholders in Spotify, shareholders in Pandora. Even this company, Twitch, is taking people from Pandora and uh, all these other, and Spotify, and putting them into their things. So basically, the top tier of the music industry has survived this, and instead of uh, 
going back to the time when you find an equity in an artist, they're like, oh, here's a new service where you can beg for money by making video content. So there's an inherent issue I have of it. There's also uh, the head of music for, uh, for Twitch said that the long-pursued holy grail is how you connect artists with fans. And he said that 1% of 100 million fans willing to contribute a certain amount can massively increase and change the economics for the artist. That is fundamentally what they did with the business of gaming, going back to Zynga and Farmville and using this premium model and then saying ultimately the future of entertainment is live, interactive, and community-driven. Now, this is the head of Twitch Music saying this. So, of course, it's in his own best interest to imagine. But he says that, and there is a part of me that's just intrinsically offended. You know what I mean? It's telling me that instead of the future of entertainment being content, being quality content, being sound, being songs, being presentation, they say that the future of entertainment is interacting with your fans on a video. So I have an inherent problem with how this is kind of being presented. And I think it's going to allow some people who are, you know, mildly good artists and wildly good entertainers get super famous. Um, I guess that's the way it's always been. And this is a new format. But I think we need to recognize the fact that it's, uh, it's not quality and it's not thought that are going to give these things any breath. It's just another flash in the pan thing. Benny, I think you're looking at this all wrong because here's why. Lay it on me. If you're on Twitch, right, and if you subscribe to whatever channel, it's a 50-50 split. Like, you get half of whatever they're paying Amazon, right? And that tends to be about 250 a month per subscription. So if someone's subscribing to see all of your your tour dates, not only are they paying for your advertising that you were doing before, but they're also probably more likely because they know how you play live to come see your show. So it, it it's almost like you're getting paid for your own advertising, which I, I don't think that's ever existed in music before. And then in 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 this cheer thing, it's it's 70/30. So say if someone leaves you like a five dollar tip like you're still getting more than you were before uh because what like like we've talked about this on here before like how much do you get per stream on like spotify it's definitely not as much for this so this is more money in the pockets and i i think if your band is really good live like like gaslight is it's just a another layer of promotion that is actually for the first time like you can make some money off of that i i think that this is great for artists well, there's a couple issues with what you just said. Yeah. A, this whole thing is not set up for you to record music. You know, if you have four people on phones making videos, you're not recording music. You're not recording real music. So I don't think that's even possible. No, but if Secondly, together... a 50-50 split is dog shit. If you're actually creating content and only using a service to put the content out, a, why do you get 50% of the content? And I'm assuming, why do you own the content afterwards? That's another big issue. Right. And on top of that, there's about a thousand people who are not famous on here who are making money and using other people's music. Right. And they're licensing their own, you know, unlicensed music in their own videos and their own backgrounds, making money off it. So it also is kind of like the wild west of licensing issues too that's about to happen. So... I think it's a little it's a little short sighted and I think you're 
kind of falling into the trap of what I'm talking about, which is this is the way you need to monetize now. And the idea that you're offering nothing more than a streaming video service and you're taking a 50% cut on your paywall and tips, these are your fucking tips. You know, <laughs> like you should just be getting your tips. So I, I think it's a little backwards, man. And I, the way they're presenting it now just doesn't feel like a sustainable model to me. I'm also 39 years old. And I'll fucking never sign up for this thing. So I'm truly the wrong demographic. <laughs> oh, I can't wait till we start our Twitch next week and just start making oodles and boodles and, you, and we get to play this clip back. No, I, I truly think... Is this good for Twitch? <laughs> Danny, I think that it is a... Should I let my hair down? <laughs> You'd have to take it out of that beanie first. Listen, you're getting ready. You got the colors in the closet, See the this? Quinn Snyder hair. I'm ready you for You could be a Twitch, Twitch. star. Oh. <laughs> Except bringing the Xbox up here is bad for my creativity, but that's not even what we're talking about. But You know, every time I said Twitch, I had to stop myself from saying Twitcher. Apparently, somebody that Twitches is a Twitcher. Apparently, someone that uses oh, Twitch. Fucking Twitcher. Th this guy, fucking Ninja, is apparently a Twitcher. Yeah, listen, if you're a game, you know, I get it for the gamer. I'm not going to hate on this stuff. Listen, technology is going to keep happening. I'm going to keep not understanding it. I hope that people can get paid off of it. It just, it's like, I'm an artist for a reason. I want right. to see good things. I want to see beautiful content. I want to see thought-provoking things. I want to see art, man. You know, and I feel like you keep making these avenues that just make it easier and easier to put a fucking, you know, some kid's Diet Pepsi commercial on a fucking Twitch and call it art, you know? But if you don't have the live shows for, like, an extended period of time and you're only relying on your streaming, like, so... Yes, yes, 100%. Right now, this is providing an avenue yeah. to people that, that they need to connect with their fans. Sure, makes sense. I mean, I'm sure it when operates better normal, than Instagram Live. Sure, so. but... But I think that there's a way that you know these festivals are going to use it to get their stuff out there. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting. Sure will. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of talking myself into it right now. I'm, right. Let That's me right. Google this. I can't no, wait. <laughs> I can't wait till we're uh, Twitch famous. <laughs> <laughs> Let's turn our attention to the guest line now. You may know him from shows like HBO's Righteous Gemstone, Shrink, or Drunk History, but today he's coming to you live as a Bulls fan. It's Tim Boltz, everybody. Tim, what's up, man? Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks so, for coming on. I got to get into this. There's Yes, there's The Last Dance, but I think maybe the most intricate uh, part of programming of The Last Dance thing was about a week ago, you're, uh, you dove into the, uh, the, the montage making of the Jordan Entourage, the security detail. I got to know right off the bat, if you're making a walk-up montage of anybody in history, but in this case, Jordan, what is your go-to song? Oof, that's tough, man. I mean, if you saw that thread, I had mm. spent like eight hours doing that, <laughs> which honestly, and I could have kept going. I had friends that were sending me friends and strangers that were being like, you got to do this song. You got to do this song. Like I just then <laughs> I like literally flushed a whole day down the toilet <laughs> song. Like it's tough. There's some great ones in there. I I'm kind of partial to the stroke by Billy Squire. <laughs> What, what is what is it about John Michael Wozniak? What's drawing people to this man? Posh, I mean, he's alive, right? Mm -mm. No, he passed away nah, in so. January. Oh, no shit. Yeah. Well, that's, a, that's a waste. It, it, it really is. 
Imagine the press tour he could have done. So, so did you know about this guy at the time, or is this kind of a, a reflective notoriety he's getting? Well, that's the weird thing with this whole process of, of going back through it, because I was, you know, prime, like, sports watching junior high, high school days while this was happening. And like, there's no way I haven't seen his face before. You know, him and, and Gus, the, the lead security guy on Jordan's team that they focused on in, in the last two episodes. Um, like, I, you saw them growing up because they were always around. But you never had a spotlight shown on them. And this guy, man, that slow-mo montage was just incredible. And that quarter game, it's, it's like I grew up playing games like that. So I, I think, yeah, I, I think there were a lot of things. But that, obviously, like his look is so unique that uh, he deserved some spotlight. Yeah, that guy's got moxie. Yeah. <laughs> serious moxie. <laughs> I got to know, as someone that, that that's put projects together and stuff like that, they were editing ep- episodes 9 and 10, the ones that we saw last night, like a couple weeks ago. Like, this really came down to the wire. How much do you think the reaction on social media that that quarter game got, got uh, to putting these guys in episode 9 altogether? Well, that's a great point. I mean, I think that because Jordan was in charge of kind of the narrative, at least from, from what it sounds like, it had heavy influence on what he was going to say yes and no to that there, there was no way he wasn't going to uh, talk about Gus. Mm. I think, like I'd heard before that a couple, uh, his personal assistant, that guy, George, I forget his last name, and, uh, and the head of the security detail were really, really close. And that was like a small knit unit. Um, and, uh, and even Steve Kerr talks about how in the second three-peat, the guys that were new to the team that weren't on the first three-peat, they never really got to know him personally because his, his circle got so much smaller. Mm. Uh, so I wasn't surprised, but... It, but it is, I hadn't really thought of that because um, they bumped up the release date by what, a month or something? Yeah. Yeah. Well, if that was the case, maybe we would have gotten a little less Scotty Burrell, though. Because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I hadn't heard that name in years and it got hammered into me in the last month. Yeah, you wanted less Scott Burrell? I don't blame <laughs> yeah, you. A little. Maybe a I, touch. Or, can you believe uh, someone was asking me, like, oh, what was your favorite cameo in all this, you know? And they were saying, like, Leonardo DiCaprio, which is pretty great. The Seinfeld one is, like, really cringeworthy, which is funny. <laughs> right, yeah. Me, it was, like, Ron Harper. He only got one, in, like, one sentence in one yeah. com- talking head. That's uh, right. And then him and Coach just did not get their due. Like, mm-hmm. they were such huge parts of that team. Harper being, like, you know, point, kind of point forward when Pippen wasn't or when they were going, you know, long and, and big on the perimeter. And, uh, and then Kukoc, like, obviously wasn't defensively great at that time. Right. Is the prototype for players today. If Kukoc played today, no one cares about defense. Kukoc, no, no. <laughs> be like a six, seven time all-star right now. Yeah, he'd be great. He'd be... Did you, did as a Bulls fan, did you have the similar take on Tony Kukoc that the players had or was he, uh, automatically, you know, brought into the fold by Bulls fans. Was it was it the players who had the uh, little bit of standoffishness? Yeah, I think the fans were like, uh, you know, like let's get them over here. Uh, right. I think there had been a couple successes. If you really knew the league, then you knew that Drazen Petrovic was unbelievable and obviously Man. died before his, his died like right in his prime. Yeah, or two. Um, you knew Divas was was you know Vladi was a, was awesome and was a great contributor and only like got better with the Kings. Sure. Uh, Sarah Bonus. 
right? Uh, Detlef Schrempf. Like you knew that there were. Smiths. Yeah, you knew it was like untapped territory. Sure. So when people were saying like, "This guy's the best player in Europe right now," you're like, "Well, get him over here." We waited for four years. Right. And he wasn't there, and then Len Bias dies, and you're like, "Wait, the Celtics could have prolonged their dynasty." So let's get Kukoc over here if he's that mm. good. I don't think most people were like, man, screw Jerry Krause. Uh, he's wrong about this. Him wanting Kukoc is disrespectful. I think that was their motivation because they hated Krause. As fans, we're like, more the merrier. Get the best player in Europe? Yeah, sure. Sure. It is interesting that, that uh, Len Bias passing untimely in that draft pick kind of did, did open the door. I, I didn't even put that together at the, at that point, but yeah, it kind of gave a, a new, a new opening for them. Yeah. It definitely was this, uh, it, it shone a spotlight on, uh, the, like how to build a team. Like if Len bias right. had really joined that team and, and had partnered with Reggie Lewis and had kind of, they would have been able to transition from one dynasty to the next, which is right. always hard, but that was the blueprint. You luck out with a draft pick, you know, you get like one late first rounder that actually is better, like Paul right. or Spreewell or something like that. And then you're you're set, and you get a couple free agents that want to come play with you, and uh, yeah. So and Kukoc was like, especially his rookie season was was really good. He showed a right. ton of promise, and then he hits that shot against the Knicks when Pippen sits out, and you're like, this guy's got this guy's got huge stones. Like he's built <laughs> right. for the NBA. Like okay, defensively he's not great, and uh, you know, and he's always going to be a bit of a liability. But you know, most teams back then weren't perfectly built defensively there were there were a couple teams that you had to get through like the knicks sure so, but, uh, so yeah so, we uh, we uh, as fans we loved ku coach so you'd see a lot of ku coach jerseys so um i'm curious from your take having been there right in, in the thick of things which team were you did you hate more was it the pistons or was it the utah jazz and, and that whole thing because honestly the utah jazz i I know to beat the Pistons was getting over the hump and all that stuff, but the Utah Jazz kind of seemed more annoying in this documentary. <laughs> yes. Well, the Pistons, I was a little too young to understand how why I hated the Pistons. I hated them in like a little kid way, yeah. you know, where you're like, they're so frustrating. The Jazz, I really hated them. And, and I didn't like the – I respected the Jazz. Like I, I thought Stockton was incredible. Um, they had, you know, Malone was great, obviously complicated figure. I hated, I hated Jazz fans. I know. Oh yeah, no, you should. Yeah, being from Illinois, Michigan, <laughs> was like, well, Pistons fans seem they look like Chicago fans. Sure. I, I mean, just to paint with a broad stroke, Jazz fans they don't look. They maybe look like Oklahoma City Thunder fans. <laughs> yeah. You know, talk about they don't look like Bulls fans. You look yeah. at the crowd and you're like, they look like people who are heading to California, saw a lake, and we're like, no, we got to stop here. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, toward the end, I think the Pacers team was the one that scared me the most because I, I like, when Jalen Rose last night was talking th through their lineup, mm. it hit me Stacked. like, they are so deep. Like, they had and units that could have made the playoffs. Sure. Like, their bench was, their bench was like another Davis brother, Mullen, uh, Jalen Rose. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, they were a really deep team. So, they they were scary. Then you get to the jazz and you're just like, it was monotonous. Like if they just yeah. roll, just wore you down in an inside out game, just wore you down. And they're they're because of the way that they played defense, they would get away with stuff. Right. I, I don't talk about the shove because you see so many clear fouls that aren't called. And then people get to the Jordan's push off and they're like, it's yeah. 
Oh, no, it's not. It's not a foul today in a relaxed defensive like foul environment. It's not a it's not a foul today. Reggie's foul. That was a foul. That's the context that you full extension. Full extension shoved both his chest to the point that Jordan, who's hounding him, actually moves away from him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Plants his foot, his foot slips, and he falls. He falls because his plant foot doesn't catch. Because he's off balance, yeah. Because he's, he's heading that direction already. Right. Nothing, right. It's not a push. That's oh. <laughs> true. Everybody loves using that stuff. So let's put your casting director hat on for a minute. Say you're making the, the last dance feature. Who are we doing for Jordan, Pippen, Phil Jackson, and Jerry Krause? Where are you looking in the acting world? Well, it's hard not to have someone like Michael B. Jordan as Michael Jordan. <laughs> That'll work. Yeah. Like, we know he, he can play a villain. We know sure. he's super charismatic. Uh, we know Great he's shape. Athlete. Great shape. And he's, yeah. he's proven he's an athlete in Friday Night Lights. It's hard not okay. to have someone like him, although Chadwick Boseman is so charismatic. I would put Chadwick Boseman as Pippin, but Michael B. Jordan as okay. Michael Jordan, as Michael J. Jordan. Uh, <laughs> Phil Jackson, I don't know, man. Is this a comedy or a drama? <laughs> uh, we go either way. It's like my first instinct is like a, maybe like a Paul Giamatti, but you got to put him on a box or something. Yeah, right. you know? I, I'd make him Jerry Krause. <laughs> oh, perfect Jerry Krause. Yes. Jerry Krause. Phil Jackson, that's a tough one. Mm. What do you, I don't know. Ed Begley. I wish Begley could be good. I, at first I was like, I wish Harold Ramis was still here. He. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It'd be a good Phil Jackson. Oh, good call. Yeah, but I, Paul Giamatti is Jerry Krause, I think. That's perfect. And he's got that experience as playing, uh, like, you know, unlikable band manager in, like, 17 movies for some reason. <laughs> yeah, but, like, that Harvey P. Carr from the... Um, American uh, Splendor. American Splendor, like that. Because yeah. Krause was... Krause is a fascinating figure. I think yeah. Rockworth is way more the villain than Krause. That's my takeaway from this as someone who lived through it. And, How so? Well, I, you know, the media crushed Kraus, especially right. local media. Like we all hated Kraus and it worked on the fans. The fans were all like anti-Kraus. And Kraus didn't do himself any favors because he Peter principled beyond the level of his own competence. If you know about Peter Principle, that's like you get to a, your competence gets you to a level where suddenly you're incompetent. Your skills don't match the level that you've gotten to. He okay. Was a Hall of Fame talent scout a hall of fame evaluator of talent sure. and he got himself to a general manager position based on that but he did not really have the interpersonal skills to like get through it on a with a with a savvy degree of of right. you know uh of like harmony right so it's so he needed someone like phil so he recognized that and at first he and phil are they're copacetic everything's fine between kraus and jackson because kraus's fires doug collins they would have won a title with doug collins yeah. But Reinsdorf saw, I think Reinsdorf knows that Kraus can be the bad guy. Kraus can be the fall guy for everything. My, my, like one of the points that sticks out the most, and there's a lot of points that don't get covered that, that deserve a spotlight. But to me, one of the crucial ones that kind of exposes Reinsdorf is when, when he says like, I told Scotty not to sign that contract. (laughs) I know what a bullshit thing to say. Signed the fucking checks. Yeah. Yeah. that bad and you wanted to respect this great player this guy you knew was going to be a hall of famer then rip up the contract give yeah. him the contract you're the one offering him the bad contract that you're then agree more that was classic rich guy patsy shit right there yeah <laughs> and, and 
patsy. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. <laughs> uh, so you do think like they stay together 99 short in season that they, they do win that year again. Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, Cause like the Spurs end up winning. They got twin right. towers. That would have been really tough to defend, even if you get Rodman on Duncan. Like Duncan was was already like a three year, four year pro as a rookie, and Robinson was still pretty great. And that was like a really scrappy team. Although they were the only true seven footers on that Bulls team, Luke Wongley. Well, they had Wennington, but Wennington would have been like thirty six by that point. Yeah, Reset. He would have been gone. The thing is, they could have they would have resigned other people. Like they would have addressed their problems. And I do think on a shortened season. Uh, Pippen would have been rested enough. Jordan would have been rested enough. Rodman still probably had gas in the tank. Kukoc would you know would have gotten better. They probably keep Harper. Kerr has a lot left in the tank at that point. As for what his role is, you know, he goes on to win more championships um, with the Spurs. I I think they would have had. It would have been really hard to bet against them. I think shortened season, you go through the playoffs. Like, you know, the eight seed from the East gets through to the finals. I don't think that happens. Like Mm -hmm. the Bulls would have, the Bulls would have beaten that. I think they would have gotten to the finals. So it's, who knows? Like Bulls, Spurs. We never got to see Bulls, Spurs. We never got to see Bulls, Rockets. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. Everyone's always like, well, the Rockets had their number. Yeah, in the regular season. You know who had their number in the regular season in 98? The Jazz. They beat all, they beat them in every game Mm -hmm. in Chicago. And the Bulls still hand. Like, I, I was listening to some podcasts because I've been like devouring like all like off podcast like the last dance, you know, talk show circuit. <laughs> right. <laughs> and Wilbon, uh, Mike Wilbon said something like when the, when it comes to like the greatest of all time debate, there's no shame in being the second greatest player of all time behind Michael Jordan. <laughs> Say that first. But he's like it comes down to one game or one seven game series. Art, would you bet against Michael Jordan? And like, who's gonna say no to that? Yeah. <laughs> and then they keep talking and Wilbon eventually goes, I mean, I don't even think LeBron would bet against Michael Jordan in that situation. Yeah, probably not. I mean, that's a funny thing. Wilbon has been on this pro, not anti LeBron, but like you guys are insane for saying he's the best player ever for a number of years now. And yeah. I feel like he's almost gloating on TV right now, pointing to the last dance documentary to like younger people being like, you guys, you see, you see what I've been talking about all this time? No. <laughs> I've, I've been going to watch, like, with younger f- uh, friends that are, like, NBA fans that are more modern kind of fans. Mm-hmm. i got to stop myself. Because you, you know it's a bad sign when you send, like, five or six huge texts in a row and you get like, one sentence to answer. And you're like, you're like okay. oh, you're right, you're right. <laughs> yeah. My bad, my bad. Either, like, overloaded and I, I reached this person, but they don't want to talk to me anymore, or, like, I went overboard and they don't want to talk to me anymore. <laughs> so after watching this, do you expect the inevitable LeBron de- documentary to be twice as long and half as good? <laughs> I mean, that's the pull quote right there. I, he's not <laughs> as good. He's got a different skill set that yeah. I think as, a, as an MJ stan and a huge Bulls fan, I like the whole league. Um, and I always have, even when it wasn't cool to do that. I just, uh, basketball was important. I think most people were like that back then and, and are not, they're even more so now, I think, cause it's a more player driven than team driven sport now, but who knows? I mean, he's already got the shop on HBO. Like what, what they've all learned from Jordan is how sure you say like, Oh, well he, Jordan wouldn't have been as protected now because of social media, but it's like, but now people have 
straight up PR firms in house building their own. Kobe, Braun does, like KD does, Harden does, you know? James Harden's got like people, consultants being like, here's how to be quirky. You'll be the millennial superstar, yeah. you know? You'll do like funny commercials where you're deadpan and like dead behind the eyes. And don't then, shave. Yeah. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I think, I don't know. I, anytime you make those comparisons, I think, okay, so you put Jordan in today's era. Well, is his competitiveness the same? And he probably averages like 50 points a game. Yeah. yeah. You know? And he has sports science. So he, like, you, you put LeBron in 90s. First off, he's getting beat up way more. He has less sports science. Yeah. You know, there's less available then <laughs> than there is now. So you have to, the comparisons are, are tough for Jordan fans because Jordan would only benefit from being in this mm, age. Right. There's going back in time would benefit less. They'd it's have funny how the comparisons never retrograde, you know, like everyone says what Jordan could do these days, what would Steph Curry be doing in 1992? He, he might not even crack a squat. <laughs> it's hard. It's so hard to say. I mean, I'm down for those debates all the time, but I think they're endless. Plus, you yeah. know, <laughs> you know that LeBron would never get a poison pizza. Like, you know this for a fact. <laughs> uh, he'd be, he'd be on Twitch, uh, you know, showing his flash pizza thing or something. Like, he'd be marketing it. He's not eating a pizza by himself. He's got a crew to do it. Two angles. Yeah. He'd have a chef. That's why most people are... Most people don't believe and they're happy to speculate about the flu game because yeah. they're like, you ordered a pizza and five guys showed up and, like, you didn't think... Yeah, it story seems like bullshit to me. It kind of seems like bullshit. There are <laughs> yeah. a couple times where, where it seems like bullshit. Although, it's, it's nice when you recognize that because then you also see the moments where where Jordan is clearly edited. Like when they show him at the end of the episode what Reinsdorf says, and he gets that look in his eyes, and you could tell he's trying to be so diplomatic. And then it, <laughs> the, the wide shot, and he's like, gives the diplomatic answer. You're like, they clearly cut off. Second shot. <laughs> Bullshit. Fuck Reinsdorf. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of people like this, are you ever on set and actually intimidated by John Goodman? He seems intimidating to me. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's so good. He's so good. Right. And he's so present and in the moment. And uh, he's a, you know, he's a, he's so good at his craft. He's a force. Yeah. They're, they're, I've been a, around a lot of people like that. They're forces of nature. Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Bob Odenkirk. Uh, um, I mean, I could think of a more drunk history would bring one through every day although they're usually in costume so you're you get you know it's a little less intimidating because you're like right i mean speaking of jordan or people like that like what do you think is a, a unifying factor between you know say the three people you just mentioned or you know the better athletes that kind of you know take it a step above that like is there anything you actually see in those people consistently that that seems to show up uh focus presence yeah. Dedication. All those things that like they limit distraction. Uh, they know they have a clear goal, you know, right. um, they have great training and that great training usually comes from great work ethic. Uh, Julie Louis-Dreyfus was one of the most laser focused and not, not even in an intimidating way. Like it, like we will get the best quality. Um, but you know, she's a, also a boss. I, oh, Amy mm -hmm. Poehler's another person I've worked with that, that I thought was like, similarly um 
as folk as focused as warm as she was present uh yeah when you say present you just mean like you're on set and you guys are filming and there's nothing else but that scene but that shot they're just like right there and nothing else matters is that what you mean by present yeah yeah okay. uh if if you're you know if you're if you're really in the moment you you have a higher chance of problem solving uh efficiently and and like especially if you're working in a creative field as you guys probably know um you don't necessarily like the answer isn't just going to come from you sitting and doing a math equation like uh it's it's going to come sometimes from just like a flash of inspiration other times it's going to come because you were just grinding and you came up with 27 ideas when you only needed one and it was right. the 20 idea and other times it comes from uh collaboration where you're brave enough to say i don't know the answer here and someone else is like what about this and mm -hmm. and you are open-minded and respectful enough to be like that you can hear it and say like yeah actually that is the best answer right. but and so being present in the moment especially in a creative field i think is keeping your receptors and awareness open so that no matter where the best idea comes from you're able to grab it and you're able to use it. And, and then the best people within that are able to give credit. Now, right. Some are really good at grabbing the best idea. Yeah. I don't give. <laughs> yeah. And you, you got to make other people around you believe in what you're doing. And if you give nobody else credit, then yeah, you're empty behind you. Yeah. 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 And, and the clock's running on you, you know, cause then right. word spreads credit. Yes. Yeah. It's the same in music. So I have a fun, uh, a Chicago movie tournament for you. I tried to, go genres for you. So I have four genres, Chicago movies against each other, okay? Here's our first segment, all right? We got Child's Play versus Candyman. Candyman. Candyman, all the way. Okay. The perfect time, everyone would be like in the bathroom in junior high being like, Candyman, Candyman. People would be like, shut up, dude. It's, it's a scary real. fucking movie. That's yeah. Like, Child's Play is silly. Candyman, yeah. Be yeah. my victim. Be my victim. Um <laughs> All right, next one. We got Ferris Bueller's Day Off versus Wayne's World. Ooh. Ooh. I feel like Wayne's World, you're a Joliet guy. I feel yeah, like I that's it. a little more your, your speed because they're not proper Chicago guys. They're the suburb guys. Yeah, well, and Joliet past the suburbs because the, the suburbs have now grown to meet Joliet and vice versa. But I Aurora, see. like my cousin grew up in Aurora, and I remember like, we'd look at Aurora and be like, suburbs man but you're the coolest right suburb. right, right. Uh, Juliet well Juliet has a big chip on his shoulder but I, Wayne's World to me it's so like Wayne's World is really really funny and it's silly and it's it's warm like it invites you in most comedies don't really do that anymore you know yeah, yeah. I, I, I pick that because Ferris Bueller's Day Off is always awesome to revisit and his movies are, are, are really incredible. They're a genre in and of themselves. But I think there are other movies in that genre. Whereas I would argue that Wayne's World, there really aren't many other movies in that. Yeah. It's a yeah. part of like early 90s SNL-driven comedy that now has evolved into something different, you know? That's right, yeah. Like we're not looking at like the King of Staten Island and being like, like man, another great Wayne's World movie. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's not <laughs> I haven't seen it, but it... Yeah, the, those like SNL movies grew into something else. Yeah, um, and I think World was the best, and Tommy Boy are probably the best examples of that little window of, um, yeah. And Wayne's World easily, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, the best 
SNL character movie? I mean, Coneheads? Yeah. No. I like the movie. I, yeah, I guess the movie wasn't as successful as the bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you were going to hit me with That's... Night at the Roxbury, Benny, and I was going to be very disappointed. No, no, no. <laughs> All right. All right. So let's move on to the next one. Next one, we got The Fugitive versus Ooh. High Fidelity. Ooh. Damn, that's good. Oh, man. These are really good. These keep getting harder. <laughs> wow. I gotta go. I gotta go. High fidelity. Here's why. Fugitive is awesome. Sure. Uh, high fidelity to me deserves to be highlighted because it's a part of Chicago that makes up a lot of Chicago, but mm. doesn't get a lot of attention in movies. Sure. It's super successful at showing off what a lot of Chicago looks like. Not record store stuff, but like right. that type of like middle class, lower middle class, re like you know storefront operation mm. there's a lot of that in chicago and usually when people people carpet bag chicago all the time and it's like deep dish that bulls <laughs> you know? of and that's fine but sure. that's a twist understanding of the city yeah. and it's definitely worth laughs and it has legs and like super fans are some of the funniest bits of all time i just saw the one uh that's like a bootleg thing that they did with jordan in like 91 that wow, i've never that's seen right. <laughs> I am a uh, Twitter account. That was so, that bit is so funny. But to me, high fidelity is like a, that part of Chicago barely gets any shine, but it's a way yeah. bigger part of your actual day to day life in Chicago. I live in snarky Chicago. cops get plenty of love. Yeah. Oh, so much love. So much. Yeah, they're fine. No, there's less snarky cops in Chicago than you think. <laughs> <laughs> I just always think of the guy being like, oh, they could turn the river green once a year. Why couldn't they make it blue the other 364? <laughs> um, okay, so we move on. We got Blues Brothers versus Home Alone. Ooh, damn. Ooh. Man, these do get harder. <laughs> Now I'm going silly. We're in comedy. Yeah. Um, I got a... Oh, man. How do you rank it? I mean, the Joliet in me has to go Blues Brothers, but I've seen yeah, Home Alone. Blues Brothers. <laughs> right. Yeah. Blues Brothers is an interesting revisit to watch. Like, I, I'm not in the mood for Blues Brothers all the time. Yeah. Same. I, I, I'm going to go Home Alone, actually. Yeah. With you, now I was kind of pushing you in that direction. <laughs> but one second, yeah, I saw that. Um, all right, so this is the last one. We'll finish it out with this in the sports genre. We're going hoop dreams versus eight men out. Hoop I mean, both not fun. No, no, but <laughs> I, I go hoop dreams. I think yeah. nothing has topped hoop dreams in terms of sports documentaries. It's uh, it's Probably so true. it's so good at showing what high school sports was in that era. Yes. And that era, like that was before I got to high school, but by the time I got to high school, it was still before like AAU and club ball and like right. for sports science and everyone wearing like, you know, Under Armour sleeves and, you know, being their own brand already at like 16. Yeah. Um, and Hoop Dreams really did capture like for those communities. And, you know, to like I went to Joliet Public Schools, there was – People watched Hoop Dreams and they were like, yeah, that is the only way out. And that's heartbreaking. And yeah. it's heartbreaking because it was, especially for those, those Midwestern or Southern states that relied on sports as the, the only way to kind of um, 
jump class. So I, Hoop Dreams to me was, uh, I mean, I, I think I was like quiet for hours after I saw Hoop Dreams. It was right it's still powerful. Way. And revisiting it is, you can revisit that a lot. I mean, it's yeah. tough to watch. But. I don't know if Cusack holds up that well in Eight Men Out. It is all right. <laughs> so I'm not a White Sox fan. Right. Okay. So this is an ins- I maybe should have said uh, Rookie of the Year instead. I <laughs> would have gotten you there. Oh, uh, yeah, I guess. I'm a Daniel Stern fan. So oh, he's the pitching home. coach. Best pitching coach in movie history. Come on. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, yeah. I want to bring it back to your work. You know, we've talked about Chicago and all that stuff. Righteous Gemstones. I know last time when you came on the SiriusXM show, you, you, you kind of gave an update that you had kind of stalled production. Any update there on the filming of that? I think, uh, you know, they, they don't really, no one really knows when production is going to resume. Yeah. I think, you know, people are trying to reopen the country in quotes before it's not even during the second wave. And it's, yeah. we're still in the first wave. So I think it's all wishful thinking. I think the legal liability behind all this stuff is it's just wishful thinking that, that want from people that want other people to go back to work yeah. for them. That's where we're at right now. And we can't say that without everyone getting mad. And then we just end up in the same like log jam that we're in all the time politically in this country. Well, this uh, is a safe place. <laughs> okay. Uh, I mean, without even getting political, I think it's a question of legal liability. Big right. companies won't expose themselves to that risk. Yes. And like, that is actually the market telling us what's possible. The market is telling, I think the market will tell us we're not going to actually open back up. Yeah. Right. Um, especially not in in uh, that kind of production. We'll get more creative, but I'm not sure. I, I, I'm hopeful that by the fall, there will be something. And I think there is talk of maybe doing, because um, Goodman does the Connors too. So I think there's talk maybe, and I read this in the trade, so I don't think I'm spreading company secrets, but um, there's talk of uh, like doing an episode in between season one and season two. Season two is written, you know, we had started production. Sure. Doing some kind of episode like a special in between those two before we get to actually film season two. So we would film that, and Goodman does Connors, and then we do season two. Well, since you're an, an LA guy, I got to bring this up. You know, the the Lakers are starting to open up their facility and have guys back. Clippers, not so much. What's up with between these two organizations? Is it just like a classic, you know, like uh, proletariat kind of thing trying to get back in there versus Steve Bomber, like easy? So what's <laughs> going on out there? Street fight. I don't know. I like. I'm I'm shocked that anyone can do that. Maybe, maybe the Clippers are like, ah, you beat us to it. Uh, we can't <laughs> want to look like followers, you know. Or, or there could be who knows. Maybe the coach, or you know, if Balmer's like, I don't want to risk it. It. I think it's it's all about who has an understanding of risk and is taking it seriously versus not taking it seriously right now. Um, I don't know. You know, I've been satisfying. I've been watching more basketball movies lately. <laughs> Uh, and this one takes place in LA. I watched Love and Basketball oh, last week. Ah, bad. So Still good. holds. Sana Lathan, man. I took in a little Coach Carter pretty oh. late the other night, and Rich I. Which one? I, I, I don't know. I, that movie takes me on a ride. I'm a very emotionally connected to it. I maybe it's the uh, Channing Tatum character, yeah. uh, or you know the, the kid from old school. Like, yeah, there's this yes. great cast. That kid was great, man. That kid had a run at that time. Um, kid, he's a man. Uh, yeah. But uh, that and um, Glory Road. Uh, right. I wish Glory Road was a little better because that story is actually super important in the scope of like college sports, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
And uh, I went to Loyola in Chicago and that deserves a story too, because that was like three years before Texas Western wins. Gotcha. That was pushing barriers too. And they beat a great Cincinnati team, which was like the powerhouse at the time. Um, But uh, the guy who plays big daddy in glory road was on the basketball team. His name's Shin Kerr. And he was my grade at Loyola. (laughs) And we used to go play with him and this kid, David Bailey, uh, who was the point guard, who was like 5'8", who played at Westinghouse in Chicago, who was like, I was fast. I, this guy was like five times faster than me. Wow. He was so good. And they would come in and play, and the two of them came in as freshmen. And they were kind of the stars of the team already because we weren't that good at the time. And, um, and they'd, they'd be like, yo, can we get in? And you're like, you couldn't. <laughs> <say that>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A bunch of like just regular college kids. And Shin Kerr kept bending the rims. Oh, and shit. We, We'd be like, come on, Shin. They just don't bend the rims. Like, you don't, uh, like, if you bend the rims, then we can't play anymore and you can still go to the nice gyms. Yeah. Yo, sure. Big Daddy, take it down a notch. Come on. Big Daddy, bend the rim. We'd be like, <laughs> well, I guess he earned the moniker, huh? Yeah. He was a beast. He won. He, he was like either one or was third in the, in the NCAA dunk contest uh, his senior year, 2003. I mean, if you're named Big Daddy, you better earn it or be ironically small, <laughs> one or the other. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, Tim, thank you so much for joining us today. Do you have anything else to promote while you're here? Let's see. Uh, uh, Shrink is still streaming on NBC app and website. Um, check out season one of Righteous Gemstones. Uh, if you want more basketball content, my fiance Lily Sullivan and I did a trailer for The Way Back that's so, on our Instagram so cool. page. Um, so we had fun. That was like our first two weeks in quarantine. We were like, our buddy asked us to make a video and I just watched the trailer for the way back. And I was like, Hey, you just want to redo this? Awesome. We could laughing about it. So check that out. Well, your John Michael Wozniak series. Definitely. You got yourself another Twitter follow from me. Appreciate <laughs> that. <laughs> awesome guys. Well, go follow him everywhere. He's always putting out good stuff. Tim, thanks so much for the time, man. You got it. Appreciate it, man. Plenty of ways to get in contact with the show. You can email us at the tuneup podcast at gmail.com. Two P's in there. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the tuneup HQ. Plenty of good stuff coming there. Videos, all the stuff. If, if you like the Tim Boltz interview, that's going to be up there too. You can follow Benny on Twitter at Benny Horowitz1. Number one in your mind, number one in your hearts, number one on Twitter. I am at Denny underscore Gallagher. Benny, you got anything else? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter <laughs> uh, at. Benny's got the moves <laughs> one, okay? Uh, and, and until I make mind. that, everybody loves everybody this week. <laughs> number one on Twitch. This is Ben, That's it. the tune-up.